Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tastings, Tox and Tastings Studios, Hannah, Tox and Tasting Studios, this is Bullhagen. This is Berg. This is Vicker. Good to have you with us on the Clerical Airs Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. So, uh, what's behind your collar today, Berg? Uh, not too much. Uh, <laughs> it's a... Just, it's a, it's a morning. It's a Saturday morning. Uh, got in here. You know, you don't have a lot of energy on a Saturday morning, right? And then... Uh, not usually. I, uh, to tell you what kind of energy I have today, um... Uh, <laughs> I will say you had a servant's heart. You made me a cup of coffee. So right. I, you know. Oh, I said it, Peter. I said right. Ugh, I'm not doing it. No. Okay, Vicar. I'm running a battery on my button. All right, Vicar, because we I've had this habit. I've been get. I was editing one episode, bro, and uh, um, and uh, I noticed that I said right a lot, and then I began a lot of sentence with, and so. That's not really a good way to start a sentence, and it got to be annoying. So I'm going to try, Peter Shaken, I'm trying to eliminate <laughs> my annoying speech as best as I can. Pastors can learn, too. That's right. How? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, take that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I thought you like hurt yourself there for a second. That was like instant. I was like, "What did he do?" There was some mental anguish that went on there. So we're going to do our best. I uh, worked out this morning before we came in. So okay. deadlifting or uh, today was what I call the ring of terror: shoulders and arms. The oh, ring of terror. Nice. So some biceps, some, a little bit of triceps, some uh, shoulder work. Uh, so yeah, but but that's why are we going to expect a bench press parable here? In no, the, I didn't in have the time. Future? I want to do one. I want to do one. Um, you got to let that percolate a little bit. Yeah, we care about our audience. Mm-hmm. We, if I'm we, if, I, if I sound awkward, I am trying to edit all my annoying language. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we have a question, <laughs> and who do we have a question from, Peter? Uh, Hannah sent us an email. Hannah, uh, how are you? We haven't heard from you for a while. We were afraid I, you were I mad was at told, us. I was told before the recording that the, the, the guys here were afraid that you were mad at us, Hannah. Um, they may have forgotten uh, <laughs> that you're a little busy with something right now. Uh, and that's evident in the question here. She says, uh, hello, Pastor Berg. Now that you are a father, I have a question for you. What hymns would you recommend for labor and to sing to baby after delivery? Your rather pregnant sister in Christ, Hannah. All right, I got to get him. I'm going to help out. Okay. Um, I'll be right back. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. I will say uh, we didn't do very much singing during the labor. Uh, it was um, intense. So if you can do that, kudos to you because it was, uh, it was yeah, interesting. Um, now, this is not her first child. Right. Yeah. She has experience. Yeah. So, I, and I'm just talking about myself here, which, yeah. So, yeah, there wasn't much singing going on uh, in the, in our delivery, delivery room. Um, the hymns that I guess I would choose are the ones that, um, 
are kind of contrasting kind of the pain that's going on at the moment. So I would I would sing like rejoice my heart be glad and sing. Um you know for the joy of the baby coming into the world. Um the will of God is always best is another one I would sing. Um I, I might suggest the night will soon be ending. <laughs> That that's a for, for for labor. Yes, didn't you do like an Advent thing on that? Uh, yes, that, actually. Yeah, I went went into the history of the hymn. It's it's a fascinating history, right? Where the the hymn writer of that hymn uh, actually was in Germany through in World War II, and he married uh, a Jewish woman who was baptized, and so he spent a lot of time. In hiding and and really worried for his wife and his um, adoptive daughter that because she had a child, mm-hmm. and sadly, um, the opportunity for them to leave the country um, ended, and they were not allowed to do so, and they found them dead in their home. Right. So, so way to way to take my my. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's still funny. It's yeah, still funny. Right. Uh, but, uh, oh, Bless the House would be another one that would be very good. Uh, What's the one you always do for baptisms? Uh, uh, Father Welcomes. Father Welcomes. All His Children. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we don't have a lot of good marriage and family hymns in LSB. If I had my EL each year, uh, I would look up a few more hymns with that. I got one for uh, labor. Okay. Uh, from depths of woe, I cry to thee. That'd be. I'm trying to put the positive spin here on it, or uh, the day is surely drawing near. From east to west, from shore to shore. <laughs> so, okay, I think that's probably enough for for the labor. So, what to sing to the baby? I've got a top twelve list coming. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I, I will try and get a top ten list, a twelve list for that. Uh, so the uh, singing to the baby after delivery, um, what we've been singing to my son uh, is uh, Luther's Creed. We all believe in one true God, and we've been singing it long enough now that every time we start it, uh, he starts to smile and giggle. Uh, we sing, I know my faith is founded. Uh, those are, uh, and then I sang, Rise Again, Ye Lionhearted from uh, the Lutheran Hymnal. I think it's number 470. That was on your top 12 list of hymns, wasn't it? For TLH, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I sing those ones pretty consistently. Glorianne also has her list that she kind of sings to him. One thing we have been doing is introducing the hymns uh, for the last Sunday that we've been singing, um, just to try to get him used to kind of the hymns of the day and, and that sort of thing. So, um, as well as kind of doing devotions with him, so reading the texts and, 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 and that's that a, sort of thing. That's a good point when you think about... Um training children in church but also training them for church so so rather than thinking i i'm going to have this child an hour so when we're we're going to really work on things during that hour for our child to behave but if you were do things throughout the week right so it's a little bit more normal and a rhythm set up to it that that certainly will help in the long run and I, I translated a, a kinder postal, a children's uh, set of series, and what it does is it actually has a summary of the gospel lesson for the day, 
and it also has particular verses that are meant to be memorized throughout the week. So, for example, um, you know, we're recording a little bit ahead, but for uh, um, uh, for the Sunday, oh man, what trin- uh, the the flowers and the uh, and the sparrows, right? Yeah, we just had that. Um, yeah, we just had that, and so the. Bible passage that we've been memorizing for the little ones that we say with him is, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Hmm. And we just say it again and again and again. And it's been good training for Glorianne and I, and it's been good for him because he recognizes that, okay, now we're doing something different here. And so we do it at the at the table. And so that's kind of what we do. We review the text for the week. And honestly, it's more helpful for us than it is for him. <laughs> uh, especially uh, this last week, uh, those texts were very, very comforting. Uh, and it was good to review them and to kind of live out the text from Sunday for the rest of the week. Uh, how, how many times do you uh, have the baby listen to our podcast? Well, this is where Glorianne has kind of fallen down on her <laughs> duties here, you know? So so we'll have to we'll have to be better about that, so... Although I do notice when when Berg's not an episode, I ask him, well, what would you think of the episode? I uh, haven't. Um... <laughs> it's hard. I Without visits and driving, because I listen to podcasts when it's I drive. Right. And because of coronavirus, we haven't been driving anywhere. And I also notice like when, when you're on it, you share it. And then when you're not on it. <laughs> well, that's actually going to go away now because I'm, I'm deactivating my Facebook account. Oh. Yeah. It's, You're going dark. I am going dark. It's going to be amazing. Maybe I should do that. Although I don't really post anything serious. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and we can talk about that later okay. uh, on why that is um, in a future episode. But uh, actually, it yeah it goes with a top eight list I've been developing. So Okay. So, <laughs> so maybe right. in a future episode. So let's move on, huh? Let's move on. So what is the text for Sunday, Vicar? The text for Trinity 17 is Luke 14, 1 to 11. And can you give us a, um, a summary of these texts? Yeah, we've got uh, kind of two sections with it. The first is uh, Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath and being called out on it by the Pharisees. And he follows up that with the parable of the wedding feast, which is where he talks about the you know, the guests, when they come to the wedding feast and he tells them, you shouldn't go and sit at the place of honor. You should sit lower down. And then when the right. master of the, of the <laughs> feast comes to you, he'll, he'll say, no, friend, come, come sit further up where you should be. Instead of putting yourself in that position of honor and then having him say, you don't belong here. Go sit over there. Which is not, not really a, an experience that Vicar has. They, they take the lowest seat and they stay there for a year. And they do, I was going to say they just keep getting kicked down to a lower place, but. <laughs> okay, so like for our listeners, I mean, so what kind of, how would this, if you were teaching this and using this text to teach like the catechism or the faith, like where would you go? Like what would you do? What kind of things would you focus on? Uh, I would talk about uh, repentance. Okay. Um, the lowest place, meaning um, we're not... We don't have any kind of special privilege that makes us innately uh, deserving of salvation. 
there's also obviously um, some words of Christ who took the lowest seat and was exalted. Mm-hmm. What do you have? Okay, so uh, I guess I'd break down the first part and talk about the third commandment, mm. where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Um, it's very easy to fall into legalism uh, with the third commandment. Right. Um, because we do stress on the show that uh, the outward way in which you fulfill the third commandment is to be in church, right? to mm-hmm. hear God's word. Right. Uh, however, it doesn't just stop there. It that can devolve into legalism, and that's where the Pharisees are. Right. Uh, they put up laws on for for protecting the the Sabbath from desecration. However, in doing so, and doing so without faith, they uh, end up actually breaking the Sabbath, and uh, and um, and by not uh, helping and supporting their neighbor. So, so they were looking at the strict letter of the law of the law and maybe even adding to it without actually looking at the spirit of the law. Right. And this is the way that this all falls in without faith. Because without faith, um, people are either going to hate church and find it boring and burdensome, or they're going to say, okay, this is my check. This is my checklist in order mm-hmm. to, to fill out before God. Uh, and without actually doing what, the commandment actually tells you to do, which is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So Sunday morning is just a check off the box. Mm-hmm. And so we can see this too. Uh, think of how like how crazy it is that uh, we pastors don't have time to talk to people on a communion Sunday, visitors, right? Because oh well, we have to get the service going. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a problem that. W- we actually care more about the starting time of the service than we do about sitting down and have a con- having a conversation with this person who may or may not actually become a Lutheran and believe as we believe. Yeah, so, so the spirit of the law um, is, is this commandment, the word of God, mm-hmm. and hearing it and taking it to heart rather than whether you do work or not. Or help, and, and by the way, did you notice how it's it's talking about much like the Good Samaritan, someone or something in need, mm-hmm. where you're helping an an oxen that's fallen into a ditch. And so both both things are united in the fact, both uh, episodes, if you want to say, are united in the fact that we honor and serve God. We humble ourselves before God by honoring, serving, and humbling ourselves before our neighbor. Which, which is a great contrast that one of the more foundational things that Martin Luther did at the time of the Reformation was just that, this issue. How do you serve God? Well, do you serve God by locking yourself into a monastery? Nope. Do you serve God by uh, praying 20 hours a day? Nope. Isolating yourself? No. How do you serve God? By serving your neighbor, by being a father and a mother, by teaching, being a, a faithful worker. And this is the thing. The Christian already has all things because mm-hmm. he has faith. Faith overcomes the world. All things are ours, says Paul, and we have great freedom in this. So we can actually serve our neighbor. So if we see somebody on the side of the road who um, is hurt on a Sunday morning, we should stop and help them. Mm-hmm. Um, if we miss church, it's not like God is going to, uh, uh, for that reason— God is not going to give you a black mark, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> you're trying to bait me into saying right I, now. I am. And this takes place. And actually, what a great way. And I just thought about this. A great way to preach this text is to talk about Sunday morning and then talk about in between Sundays. Because the first part of the text deals with Sunday. Mm-hmm. The second part of the text deals with the day-to-day lives that happen from Sunday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. How does the Christian faith, how is that How is that lived out throughout the week in a place that is pretty secular? Uh, cha- uh, uh, choosing the places of honor at a meal. Right. Um, and how does this faith actually work itself out in love toward the neighbor? Uh, so th- that would actually be kind of a nice way to actually frame this cert frame the sermon, right? Because you can do Sunday, and then what does this look like from Sunday to Sunday? That's that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And, and you know, with that uh, parable of the wedding feast, I think uh, we're dealing, too, with a time where we say, we everyone talks about what they deserve. And I look at your mug. I specifically chose that mug for you, Berg. Can you read what it says? Life's not fair, but we're working on it. <laughs> That's a good social justice. Uh... Um, Actually, I'm so glad life isn't fair. Why is that? Because otherwise I would be in hell. There you go. I'm glad that God isn't fair to me. But it, everything is is um, is framed with what is fair for me, what are my rights, um, and uh, without any idea that every day we live by grace. Mm-hmm. And and where does true humility come from? It comes from realizing how we have been unable to save ourselves, how we can't save ourselves. We have been unable to do it. And God lowered himself, became uh, the least among us so that we could be lifted up. And he gave us his righteousness. And the more you understand that, the more you can say, I am a poor, miserable sinner um, with an honest heart. And now I have all things. So I don't have to worry about some earthly seat at a wedding banquet Mm -hmm. because I'm already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So, Bert, can you can you think of how how many examples where where someone would complain to God that this wasn't fair and what God's answer was? I would think of Job, for example, even though he is a good example of not complaining. Mm-hmm. Right? He, we should actually take his words to heart, that naked I came into this world, and naked I shall depart. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then what he says to his wife, because his wife says, curse God and, and die. And he says, shall we not expect from the Lord evil as well as good? And yet at the end of Job, there's still some, even as well as Job handled it. <laughs> yep. He still... He still complained. Right. And, and God hammers him. <laughs> yeah. God doesn't actually answer his question. Where were we when the foundations of the world were laid? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And and so, yeah, there's there's a real... It is a mystery, right? That life is not a problem to be solved, but it is a mystery to be imbibed and enjoyed. It's a lesson we get from... Uh... From Ecclesiastes as well. You can't read Ecclesiastes, since we've been talking about that periodically in the show, uh, feeling good about yourself and what you do. Mm-hmm. And you might be poor. You might be a peasant. You might 
have lots of problems in your life. And this is why it's so very important to slow down. It's one of the reasons why I got off Facebook. Slow down and read what Christ has given to you. That you are already a priest and king before God. You belong to a royal nation. You belong to a holy priesthood. All things are yours. And if it if it all belongs to you already, then you really don't lack anything. This is what Psalm 23 is about when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. It's not just it's not just talking about physical goods. What it's mm-hmm. talking about are spiritual goods. And in this parable about taking the lowest place so that they can lift you up and say, friend, move up higher, it's interesting. The whole point of that, I don't believe, is you take a lower place so that you will be... Yeah, this isn't just simply table etiquette. Right, right. Jesus isn't just giving like pragmatic advice about, you know, wedding uh, wedding seating arrangements here. It's it's more so honestly believing you deserve the lowest place. Mm-hmm. It's not the sitting in the back of church because I don't sit deserve, you know. It's I honestly, looking at my sin, I don't, like the tax collector and the Pharisee, I don't deserve the higher place. Mm-hmm. And yet God lifts you up. Because anytime we make it into like a transactional type of a thing, I'm going to take the lower place so that I get this great reward. Is Right. It's, it's, it becomes selfish. It's a yeah. selfish endeavor. It means... And that's not faith. Right. Honestly believing that in repentance, I, be, I, I take the lowest place. Like when St. Paul says, chief, I am chief among sinners. Yep, from he, 1 Timothy. He wasn't saying, um, I'm, I'm going to say this so that God raises me up and I become a great person. Mm-hmm. He's being honest. He is looking at himself honestly and saying, I deserve the lowest place. And and when Jesus um, took the lowest place, I think part of his anguish was he dealt with our sin. He felt the shame of our sin. He carried it as though he were the one who actually did all those things. We call that imputation. So even though Jesus didn't do the things that he suffered for, they were imputed to him. They were ascribed to his account. And so he he bore the actual shame of those sins. Mm-hmm. And and so if you were to ask him honestly, do you really deserve this? What would he say? Well, yeah, look what I'm carrying. And indeed, he uh, he does say so in the Psalms. So So when you understand this passage, it's not so much... Okay, I I realize that I'm kind of in the middle of the pack, but I'm going to put myself lower. At least at least I'm not at least I'm not that guy, right? Right. But <laughs> I'll t- I'll take the seat of that guy, but we all know <laughs> that's not what this is saying. No. It is this saying is, with an honest heart. This is the attitude of faith that acknowledges our utter poverty and that we're content with the lowest seat a, a good because e- we already have all things. A good example of this would be Mary. Yep. All women shall call me blessed, but what does she call herself? A lowly handmaiden. The rich he hath sent empty away. Even as God is giving her this great honor, and she understands it, 
she still understands, well, one, I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two, um, in the one hand, she says, like you said, I am blessed among all women. But the ble- had that whole comment was nothing to say about herself. It was about what God had what done. God had had done for her. In her mind, she's still this undeserving, lowly servant. Mm-hmm. And when we live in a society that says, "I deserve this," "I deserve that," um, f- this is one way that f- that faith in Christ Jesus changes your heart to see things differently and to see others differently. Um, to truly believe in faith that I deserve that, Lord seated. So it took me a while to get there, Berg. You got yeah. Hey, we it got took a while done. for all those synapses to fire. S- speaking of, hey, Vicar, can you go get me another cup of coffee because I am uh, I've run out. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> right? How many of you have an app at home that will get you coffee? I mean, it's pretty awesome. So, all right, should we move on? We shall move on. Can't wait to hear more law and gospel goodness. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. We are uh, continuing with Walter's Law Gospel. I have stolen my list from him the last few weeks because I think it generates good discussion. And uh, I believe we are on number nine. Number nine, this is from uh, the uh, Law and Gospel from C.F.W. Walter. More information can be found at one of our previous episodes. And this says, In the fifth place, the word of God is not rightly divided when sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law are directed not to word and the sacraments, but to their own prayers and wrestlings with God in order that they may win uh, their way into a state of grace. In other words, when they are told to keep on praying and struggling until they feel that God has received them into grace. So there's a lot of landmines that that addresses. Right. Um, especially towards the end. And I think uh, what he's showing is is something that I think, especially in America, Christianity in America has really struggled with. The proof of forgiveness is how you feel about it. Because yes. there, in two ways. There's, a, there's a, a lot of people who don't feel forgiven, so they believe maybe I am not forgiven. Mm-hmm. When the sacraments would say otherwise, um, and we deal with that a lot as a pastor, right? It's the difference between the objective means of grace and our subjective experiences of those. And even though God, through the Holy Spirit and through the Word and the sacraments, is changing, He is changing us. We mm-hmm. call that sanctification. There is a moral transformation going on there that he is actually changing our emotions and our desires and our will and even our mind uh, to be more like the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. However, our subjective experiences of these things don't always match up with the objective means of grace. And we can think about this. Uh, think of how many times, uh, how we use the word guilty, for example. I feel guilty. And what is that? That is some sort of a um, subjective feeling that you've done something wrong. And a lot of times, uh, uh, speaking behind the collar here, people feel guilty about things that they shouldn't feel guilty about. 
They're not actually objectively guilty. And sometimes people are objectively guilty. They've broken God's law, but they don't actually feel that they've done anything wrong. This deals with what we call the conscience. Yeah. For example, someone might say, maybe they had a conversation with someone that uh, didn't end well. And they say, I feel guilty about what I said. Sometimes it was something that actually wasn't wrong to say that needed to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look at the conscience and the feeling, on the one hand, if, if, it, if your salvation is found in your assurance in a feeling, which is, happens all the time when you wander away from what the sacraments are and what God's word says— you're going to grasp on to some kind of certainty, whether it's a feeling or some sort of a pietism. You know, I'm saved because I don't buy alcohol or something like that. Um, you're well, going you're gonna to try and find something, some form of assurance of salvation. And some, it might be feeling, it might be something else. On the other hand, I think what we're really dealing with nowadays, nowadays is the fact that people feel forgiven they feel justified when they're not. Yes. Where, because they feel okay about it, because their conscience has been corrupted in a way that they assume everything is okay, and yet they have rejected the Word of God, rejected his teaching, are impenitent, but because they feel in their heart of hearts that they are forgiven, they have been misled, and that's hard for behind the collar for pastors to deal with sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's heartbreaking. Uh, the Bible has many words for this: hardening, uh, having a seared conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Moses talks about it as being fat, mm-hmm. uh, because when you're fat, you uh, don't feel as much or calloused. Um, so this. So, it, so those is, are those are is, the two ways this this comes up. Whether it's a false sense of security in your in your uh, your conscience, or on the other hand, where you need to set. But both of the remedy to that both comes from the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And you it's know, it, I, and I, it's I, interesting because like he talks about here those who have been smitten by the law, right? This is how he is talking about it. And Walther has a deep personal experience with this. Because when Walther went to college, he fell into a group of pietists, and they said, okay, uh, you need to show that you're really sorry for your sins. You need to do all of these spiritual exercises. You need to uh, cry on your bed with tears just like David did. Uh, You need to show that you're really, really repentant. And it was so hard on Walther that he actually had to quit university for a semester because it broke his health. And it was only with uh, a great letter by um, by Martin Stefan that actually revealed to him what God has done for him in Christ. This is a good way of tying together the parable we just talked about. Because the listener might be thinking, well, didn't you just read a parable where we're supposed to think of ourselves as low, but now you're telling us to that, you know, God forgives you and all those things. So you're saying, say, Walther, uh, because of he was supposed to feel all these certain things, um, they misunderstood the idea of you need to feel, though, with your internal wrestlings 
his words there, rather than just understanding I am a sinner that receives the grace and mercy of God. The difference between what you're talking about and those who are t- telling him you need to take the lower seat, take the lower seat, take the lower seat, was one in a way that was outside of the word of God. It was just emotionally based. Whereas taking the low seat, as Jesus would teach, would be according to the word of God, according to the Ten Commandments, not adding to it. You know, and uh, and pray, 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 you know, and once you get through this dark valley of sadness and everything, uh, then then you'll really have this feeling of being saved. Well, the problem is, is it never happened for a lot of people. And, like, and if it did, they became Pharisees. And this is one thing, too. The people who are listening here, you're not all pastors. Don't, please, don't ever say to anybody who is coming to you and saying, oh, I just I feel so terrible. I feel so bad about this, that, or whatever. Don't ever say to them, well, you just need to pray more. Don't ever say that because that's evil. What you've done is you've confounded law and gospel. You've put them back under the law. You've told them, okay, now I have now go do something more. Rather than pointing them to what God in Christ has already done for them. Which is why also, as preachers too, rather than teaching or preaching feelings, you should feel a certain way. You teach the word of God. What I mean by that is, is uh we do have feelings and emotions, and God gave us those things for a reason. But what we do on Sunday morning is we we place those in the context of God's word. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling joy, it's a real joy based in what Christ has done for you. If there's sorrow, it's a real sorrow based on the actual Ten Commandments that we've broken. Mm-hmm. And so... Rather than, and that what that does is, the proof is in what the preached word says, what Christ promises in his sacrament. And that can be emotional, but it's a cart before the horse thing. The emotion comes from the truth. Yes, the emotions must always correspond with God's word, not the other way around. And so if you are preaching and telling people, okay, this is how you should feel. You should feel this way. Actually, you know... I think it's much better to continue to, to preach the word of God and what it says and let that drive everything. Rather, Because I've heard sermons where, it, where um, I remember hearing sermons when I was younger of, okay, you need to feel this way or you need to feel that way. And then what happens is, well, I don't have that particular emotion. So does that mean I'm not saved? Yeah, I mean, that is very cruel law preaching. Very cruel. Because it never gives... But what actually does change the emotions? What actually does uh, change these things? When you can look outside of yourself, Mm -hmm. take a third eye look at yourself, not according to all that gobbledygook that we, the games we play in our head, to look outside of yourself and ask, what does God's word say? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so if you are thinking, well, I don't feel forgiven or, or I, feel forgiven even when I don't think so. Take a step out. Take a step out. Take that third eye view and say, not not in a, some mystical way, what does Jesus actually say? Right. When you go to the Lord's Supper, racked with guilt and shame, 
you know, uh, you know, I've known some people when I was younger who they, you always have to be smiling when you're coming from the Lord's Supper. What, what God's word says is you are forgiven. Now, it doesn't mean you don't all of a sudden all those feelings go away necessarily. However, what it does is, is it gives you a chance. And this is, by the way, as a pastor, when I'm dealing with someone who is struggling with depression, this is one thing that's really, really help, helpful for them. Because when, what depression does, it, it takes everything that, that is good and it makes it less good. And it takes everything that's okay and makes it bad. And it takes everything that's bad and it makes it... Ten times worse. Ten times worse. And part of depression is improper emotion. Yeah. Your emotion system is a little off. And so what do you do? Tell them to wrestle with it more? Yeah, just pray more. If you have enough faith, God will make it better. No, of course not. You know, I don't think my wife minds me sharing this, but I remember it's it's kind of like this. I remember a time when we were first married because she has on and off dealt with depression. And she would say, I don't know, you just feel so distant. And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm right here. I haven't. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. so, so I think some of that I th- I've learned was to say, okay, just a reminder, I'm here and I love you. And and uh, the depression made it sound like feel her feel like everyone was distant. Mm-hmm. And to say, okay, let's look at what the truth is here. Yeah. You know, and and so and actually, some... I think one of the best ways to fix this is our hymnody. By grace I'm saved, great hymn, but they left out the last stanza for that hymn. It is in the Evangelical Lutheran hymnary, which is really great. And the last few lines of that is, "I cling to what my Savior taught, and trust it whether felt or not." Mm. Yeah, it's a redirection. And so this, this whole thing, when you talk about, because right now, even with the pandemic and all that stuff is going on this year, we have a lot more people who are struggling with depression, anxiety, and all those things. It is really important, and, and I think we as pastors are doing what we can to continue to work on, well, let's look at what God's Word actually says if someone comes to communion and they receive and they say i struggle i don't feel forgiven i don't feel forgiven okay okay what is true jesus says you are forgiven now that doesn't mean you're going to feel each time great and that's okay it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's it's a cure for depression it's like a guy on death row who's gotten the pardon and he's got it in his hand Right, it's not gonna. He's walking through, and he's like, and he's thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going. I'm not. I'm doing something. T- you know, I'm. I'm not going where I'm supposed to go." As he's walking out the front door, but he has that objective uh, pardon in his hand, and even he, even though he's trembling, he's seeing the the guards with guns and everything like that. Yet he still walks through the door, even if he's scared, even if he's trembling, even if he thinks, "Oh my gosh, this you know, this is a lie." They're just trying to set me up. Nevertheless, he walks through the door because he's got that objective piece of paper to hold on to. And I'm not saying that this is a way to overcome depression or anything like that. What I am saying is this is oh, these are thinkings and ways that the listener can, when they're struggling with depression, 
to not it be, let it become a matter of faith, to, to allow you, to lead you to question God's goodness to you. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes depression has a physical a, a physical right because it's not just emotion it's yeah you're, you're sometimes for I think a third of the people it's uh, an improper balance of the the brain chemicals for others it might be inflammation and as pastors we don't comment on that that's not our field right uh, but at the same time don't let depression become your god either but we so what we can do is say okay all right to have the mindfulness to lead the members to say, okay, this is what you think or feel. Let's, when you say, this is what God's word says, this is what his sacrament says, it, it, it gives you a chance to step out of all those emotions and feelings and physical reactions that you might have and say, this is, okay, I can address that. I can look outside myself and say, this is what I know is true, even if I feel now, long-term, I think that informs it. Long-term, you need to hear it, and it, it does help. And, and, but it really is a way of, of continuing in faith and continuing to have the assurance of a gospel even as you're struggling and that's with anxiety why and depression. faith isn't feelings. That's right. All right. All right, having talked about faith All right. and not being— <laughs> did it. All right, I'll get these out of my way. All right, and so, right? Okay. Now, we are going to move on to one of our listeners' favorites, and that is... uh, Pastor Peace Theater. Peter, play the intro. So, uh, welcome to Pastor's Peace Theater. With Pastor Berg. Our section today has to do with uh, separatism and the Pharisee, and so that'll actually be a very good way to continue our discussion of faith and feelings, uh, taking the lower seat, and the like. The perfect photograph of the separatist is the New Testament Pharisee, from the Hebrew pherez, which means separation, a silent standing mirror of unending self-examination for all Christians, and especially for us confessional Lutheran clergymen. It is almost impossible to write about Phariseeism without at the same time committing what we condemn. But whether in us or in our brethren, members of one and the same redeemed body, or whether impersonally the dreadful thing be frozen in the traditional church polity and practice to which we are yoked and which we often reluctantly follow against our correct gospel instinct and against the Holy Spirit's promptings, may the God of peace bruise this Satan under our feet shortly. The separatist lacks imagination, charity, and therefore can't place himself into the hide of the other. He understands you according to the inflexible law of his own vocabulary and actually recreates you in his mind, spews you out of his mouth as not to his liking, and condemns not you in reality, but rather the image of his false construction. The situation is hopeless. Unless you board his train of thoughts you will, as he steams on down the line, be left standing a solitary figure at some forsaken whistle-stop, unofficially excommunicated as he, bl- as he and he blissfully insensible of the bleeding breach. There can be no free interchange of thoughts, edifying to both, which is possible even where, the, where gospel minds disagree. But hair-splitting disputes with words, from which the substance 
has been drained dries up the soul, and the devil is moderator, so your association with him is reduced to formal worship. Formal worship is a gift of God. The shut-ins know that. The Protestants, some of them, cut off entirely from the amiable tabernacles of the Lord of Hosts for years know that full well. But formal worship is a means to an end, namely that we without restraint learn to speak the truth in love and grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We then learn to converse on anything under the sun with perfect freedom. If fellow Christians must shun the subject in which their entire life here and yonder is wrapped up for the sake of peace, they are not walking in the truth, and such a situation works a hardship on him who is otherwise drawn to and loves the one given to, separatist, to separatistic tendencies. The separatist dislikes to mess with, with the wounds, with the festering sores of deep-seated sin within the congregation of the Lord, and passes up the sickening sight with the priest and the Levite, and pursues his rigid path of righteousness to the temple, forever to the temple, to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. He looks at an untidy situation, lamenting, but he does not look into it. The deeper you dig into the dung, he says, the more grub worms you find. So he, like old Uncle Ned, hangs up the shovel and the hoe, washes his hands of the mess, and preaches a pleasant painted gospel against a theoretical devil, leaving his laboring brethren, their gospel vehicle hub deep in the mud in the lurch. I am full, full of it up to the neck, exclaims the man in disgust, as he turns his back to carry his dear old hide to safety. The separatistic church loses contact with life and chokes in its own web of ecclesiastical figments, fence, and formalisms. The Donatists of old kept, kept aloof from all church bodies round about, and what with the practice of, of strict church discipline, believed themselves morally superior to the universal or Catholic church, which they held in contempt. They were perfectionists and believed the invisible church hid in their sect and nowhere else on earth. Such dangerous notions are by no means dead, but still float around, especially in orthodox circles. Here we have a man who by the marriage route came from the Norwegian merger into a Wisconsin Senate congregation. He was soon elevated into trusteeship and thoroughly indoctrinated. He now harbors no hope whatsoever for the eternal salvation of his brothers, sisters, and other relatives still associated with and served by the merger. They are all hellbound as far as he is concerned. That man is in, is in obviously is in greater danger of losing his soul than they are whose fate he is bemoaning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes, which is hypocrisy. So, what he is talking about there is, Vicar, do you know what separatism is? If I remember right, that was what the Puritans were also called, separatists. This idea of separating from society. And separating from other denominations in a way that says mm -hmm. what, Berg? That we are, it, it ends up being, we are the only Christians. It, there, there's, a, there's a spectrum of it, too. This, uh, is, don't you think this is uh, one of the, the uh, accusations that's made towards Missouri City Lutherans, that we are... That we're like Count Dooku and the Separatists from Star Wars? There were only three movies. Star Wars movies? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're pretending like those others don't exist, huh? To well, be honest, I mean, some people think they were six. Some people think they're nine. You know, it's all a matter of opinion. <laughs> I actually have only seen two of them. So the ones with the three separate themselves from the others. So 
Uh, it's the reason I say that that we often are called separatists is probably because our communion policy. When we say uh, have closed communion, people say, oh, one, you think you're better than us, and two, that we are making a comment on their salvation, which we're not. Although it can become that. I think it's a continual temptation for us to avoid this because us having pure doctrine can very easily become, oh, hey, we're all beggars finding bread. This goes back once again to the text, right? Mm -hmm. And taking the lowest seat that we, by the grace of God, uh, have received this from our fathers, and this is a correct exhibition uh, and exposition of the Bible, and we are beggars and we have received this from our Lord, to we have it right, all the rest of you losers need to get in line. Yes. Those And the difference is, of course, faith. Uh, and faith, actually, and he talks here about the gospel instinct. The gospel instinct has things like imagination, charity, uh, being able to place yourself in someone else's shoes, um, uh, getting down in the in the muck. Uh, he talks about the dung heap. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he makes a lot of allusions to the Good Samaritan. Uh, and it's really easy to get into a certain kind of uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod piety where we say, well, look at all these other churches. You know, we're saved by our stance on homosexuality. <laughs> You know, which just becomes doctrine righteousness, right? And we're not saved because we have it all right. And the Lutheran Church, I'm sure Church, we have a few blind spots. <laughs> well, I do believe that our teaching is the. I mean, this is why I'm you, right. This is why I belong to the Evangelical Lutheran Church. That by God's grace, uh, we have received the fullness of truth. However, we are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We are not. Uh, we are, we are not the custodians of pure doctrine, letting in the people we want, mm-hmm. or having our little club meeting, kind of the ecclesiastical version of he-man woman haters. Uh, this is where the parable we talked about goes right right in line, like you said earlier, that uh, taking the low seat in, in all these discussions. And dealing with the wounds. I mean, this also goes into the first part, not just the lowest seat, but also... Uh, missing church to help and support someone else, whether those wounds be physical or spiritual. Because there are a lot of involuntary hermits uh, in our midst that can and should receive uh, our care. Um, and so this is this is the thing. is uh, This is a temptation for us. It's a, a terrible temptation because we can say all the right things but without faith, they become the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I'm going to put this out there. I've had people claim that uh, that it used to be taught that the Missouri Senate is the only one going to heaven, blah, blah, blah. That is not true. No pastor has ever taught that. If they did, they weren't Lutheran. That That is true. I've heard on many occasions the accusations that that's what we believe. And that is not what we believe. Uh, we believe that the Church of God exists under the shadow of the Antichrist in Rome. We believe that the Church is wherever the gospel is preached, even if it's been mutilated. Um, we do say that there are dangers in it, that it lead can, can and does lead people away from the gospel. Yes. 
but it doesn't mean that you have to be Missouri State Lutheran to be saved. No. And the way that I've always put it is that, because uh, uh, I had one prickly person who uh, said, oh, well, you know, we, they just, you know, Missouri Senate Lutherans just think they're the only ones who are going to be in heaven. And I said, no, no. But when you get to heaven and you're purified of all your corruption, uh, you will. You will be evangelically Lutheran because you'll believe what the Bible teaches, because you'll believe what God's Word teaches. I thought you would say, well, there's a handful of Wisconsin synod in there, too. <laughs> I thought that's what your answer would be. But it's very it's very easy to make, and especially in our, uh, in our catechesis, we don't want to be like the Pharisees and make and make people twice the son of hell that we are. And that's what happened with his example here from a, a person who comes in by marriage from the Norwegian merger and then basically says, well, all of my brothers and sisters are going to go to hell because they're still in the Norwegian church and I am in the Wisconsin Senate. Um, yeah. And that's, I, that is, that's, that's very problematic. And so this is why we have to be very careful in our teaching uh, and that the spirit of humility that we've talked about from the beginning uh, sticks with us because, um, and that only comes from, from faith. We're moving on to confound the clerics. Uh, Peter, play the intro and, and talk about the questions we have for us today. Confound the clerics. Yeah, so this week uh, we didn't have any questions in our inbox, but I was just happened to be browsing the LCMS subreddit, and I came across this one uh, from a user named uh, Beard Kegard. Um, Sounds like our kind of guy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, and it's about the divine services. Uh, he says, I always see fellow traditional friends in the Lutheran church vaunt DS3, divine service three, as our best service setting. I've been in church about a year now, and I haven't really noticed a particular difference between this setting and the others. Our parish happens to be very liturgical, so maybe our clergy just do a good job with all of them. But what is the general basis for how the settings are different from each other, and what makes three so much better in the eyes of more traditional types? So, uh, what do you have to say about that, Bird? So, uh... <laughs> Brah. Well, we will... Because uh, you, you predominantly use Divine Service Setting 3, don't you? I, I exclusively use it for Communion Sundays, and I also use Matins on non-Communion Sundays. Uh, the reason why I I think Divine Service th- Setting 3 is is the preferred setting and why I use it exclusively is, first of all, it is really an ecumenical setting. It wasn't designed by the Missouri Senate. It was designed by uh, three different senates in the 1860s uh, and 70s and 80s. Um, it was called, so it, it was used by all English-speaking Lutherans until about the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one thing of why I use it, uh, because it is ecumenical. And I would say, too, one thing about Divine Service Setting 3 is um, the canticles in it tend to be actually a little more biblical. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's another point, too, that I prefer um, Divine Service Setting 3 because, uh, like, the, uh, the Song of Praise uh, comes from the lips of the angels. Mm-hmm. 
The uh, uh, the offertory comes from Psalm 51, Create Me a Clean Heart, O God, which we sing after the service. Um, and I don't I don't think I don't I just don't find that the other services uh, singing the uh, Worthy is the Lamb. That's talking about heaven. I don't think that's necessarily talking about the Lord's Supper. And so I, I, that's another reason why I prefer Divine Service Setting 3 over Divine Service Setting 1. I, I use both, and sometimes mm-hmm. I even use Setting 4. Um, I know that bo- might bother some pastors out there that I use more than one. Um, but uh, I would say, um, for me that uh, I would say that I like one because you don't you don't one or two you don't do one you don't do both usually because they're to try and do setting one and setting two would be very hard because they're almost the same but different <laughs> yeah the music is different uh, so and the other yeah, thing I'm, is is the reason I'm not sure I've ever done a setting two before I was reading through the hymnal one day and I was like you know this looks really similar but like what's up with all the music it's very different yeah. So one and two are, I think, I guess, um, there's a stand-up comedian, Brian Regan. This is how I'd phrase it. Um, he, uh, there's a part in his, uh, stand-up comedian where he talks about as a child talking about his snow cone flavor of choice. And he says, I would like grape. It's my favorite, but I also like cherry. It's also my favorite. I have two favorites. It's just that grape is more favorite than the other. <laughs> that, that's yeah. kind of how I think of it. it for me, I think um, both are good. One might be more favorite. Well, and the one thing, too, that I like about DS3 is that it was called the Common Service, and what they did is they went through all of the old German liturgies, and they picked what was common that all of them had. And so it's like they took the best of the best from the 16th century and they translated it into English. So that way the law and the gospel could be faithfully preached and uh, uh, and learned and sung. And the other thing is what the reason why I stick with one exclusive, you know, one service exclusively and is just pedagogically. Mm-hmm. Um, because I use the the divine service setting 3. I use it uh, all the way through. I use it on Sunday mornings. I use it when I'm visiting shut-ins. And after doing this for seven years, uh, I have kids that I've baptized who are singing all of the responses. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to read yet, but they're singing it all. And th- it makes it intergenerational. From the youngest all the way up to the oldest, we're all singing the same thing. We're all doing the same thing. We're all praying the same thing. Uh, and that is one thing that I would argue for DS3 being better, uh, just on the basis of the music and the text picked. If you want to use these others, you're free to do so in the gospel. All I would say is, is think pedagogically. Think like Luther, where he says, pick one and then stick with it forever. Like, be, pick one version and stick with it forever. Vicar, for a listener, what does pedagogically mean? It has to do with teaching. So it's it's a, a method for teaching. The so consistency. In, yeah, in this case, the, that the frequent consistency you know i grew up on with the old tlh hymnal so ds3 is extremely familiar because every single sunday that's what i heard mm-hmm. peter is ds3 also a gaming system or is that just me being crazy 
Uh, you could the DualShock Three, the DS Three is a controller for the PlayStation Three. Okay. <laughs> so and I don't know. I, it just seems like see, and this is one of those things because it seems like this guy has kind of encountered Pharisaical tendencies, mm-hmm. just the way that he's kind of. Because uh, I think you could, you so, could like he has, uses words like so much better and vaunt and. Uh, so the thing is, is we are there. There is a freedom to this. I the re and the thing the reason why I submit myself to one service in this regard, even though there are so many services I would love to do, um, mm-hmm. I would love to do Luther's Deutsche Messe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to sing all of the parts. But the thing is, is this isn't just for me. This is for everybody. This is for the entire church. And this is why I almost do wish that we could strive towards more unity so that way everybody could sing the same thing. Everybody would be familiar with it, um, not because it's a law, but because we want to be in closer fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why uh, I I kind of bemoan having five divine services in our hymnal because everybody kind of does what they want and because the reason of, of having a hymnal a common hymnal is for the sake of uniformity right that we're all on the same page and uh, that's one thing i bemoan and you know if we all decided to go with ds1 or ds2 or ds4 yeah i i would go along for the sake of unity like if we as a circuit did that you know i would i would go along with it mm-hmm. uh because i think we do owe stuff to our brothers out of love. Getting back to the question, you you mentioned that uh, there is some sort of a pharisaical where I only will go to a church with doing setting three or because we as pastors we kind of encounter that sometimes. Or it's so much better. Or so I kind of like uh, you know we get that with the lectionary too. Yeah, we use a use a one year and. Someone wants to use a three-year, great. But there are those, oh. Yeah. You use a three-year? So I think, like, make your, <laughs> you know, make your arguments, right? That That's my thing. It's like, make your arguments uh, knowing that we are free in the gospel, and it's okay to submit out of love. It's okay to take the lower seat. <laughs> it's, uh, so, see, we're tying it all together, tying man. Tying it all together. So, so to that question... Be happy that you are have you have a church that's using hymnal, and be happy you have friends that are zealous mm-hmm. for the truth of God and who love uh, formal worship, because formal worship is a gift from God. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of our show. Thank you for listening, Vicar. Where can they get a hold of us? Yeah, so they can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.com. No, dot org. Dot org. Ah, it's a bad habit clericalerrors.org. They can find us on the Facebook yeah, fa- page. Yeah, facebook.com slash clericalerrors. Clerical Errors Podcast. It is Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm trying to go off memory. Yeah, it's... And you can find us on Twitter at clericalerrorsp. P for cup podcast. P for cup, yep. <laughs> P for cup. <laughs> Don't make that the title of the show. At me, bro. At me, bro. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, wrap this up. (laughs) So thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. 
And I'm Vicar. And uh, may your... Here we go. May your lower seat be stiff. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.